Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So you guys know that around here, we spend a lot of time talking about relationships, our relationships with God, with ourselves, with our friends, our significant others, and more. We talk about these relationships because A, they can be really tricky, and B, they're super important. These relationships are everything to us. And as I've spent so much time learning in my own relationships and walking with women through theirs, the thing I've noticed along the way is that as we become healthier, our relationships do too. It's true. The healthier we are, the healthier our relationships are, and that's why I am so excited to have my friend Deborah Folletta back on the show today. Deborah is a licensed professional counselor who has also seen and studied and personally experienced this connection between our health and the health of our relationships. In fact, she recently just wrote a whole book about it. Deborah's new book is called Are You Really Okay? And in it, she helps us get real about who we are and how we're doing spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and even physically so that we can recognize where we need some growth and some healing. And doing this healing is not only so important for us, but it makes an enormous difference in every single one of our relationships as well. In this episode, Deborah and I are talking about how to understand and express your emotions in healthy ways, how to get to the root of what you believe about yourself and others and God, how to honestly assess your own mental health and pursue help when it's needed, how to prioritize your physical well-being and how it affects every other area of your life. And seriously, that's just the beginning. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. But before we dive in, one of the things that Deborah and I talk about in this episode is therapy. And I know that every single time I bring up therapy on the show, I get a slew of emails from our Girls Night community. Everyone has questions. And I totally get it. Finding a good therapist is a daunting task. And even if you can find a good one, figuring out how to pay for therapy is a whole other thing. And that's why, before we even dive in, I wanted to make sure to share this resource with you. The resource is Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a website where you can get matched up with a Christian counselor for professional online therapy sessions. I love them because they help you get traditional mental health counseling, but from a Christian perspective, and you get to do it all online, all from the comfort of your couch. You don't even have to take off your sweatpants. I love that. Anything I can do in sweatpants, I'm in. Faithful Counseling has made the process of finding a great affordable counselor so easy, and they also made it more affordable. Now, while I love traditional in-person counseling, it can cost more than $100 per session, which just makes it a total no-go for so many of us. But Faithful Counseling is significantly less expensive, and they have financial aid available as well. Friends, if therapy is something that you've been considering or something you think might be helpful for you right now, or if you start to think it might be helpful after you listen to this episode, head over to getfaithful.com slash girlsnight and you can learn more about Faithful Counseling. And I'm so excited about this. Faithful Counseling has been so generous to give our Girls Night listeners a special offer of 10% off of your first month of counseling. So to check them out and to get that 10% off your first month, all you have to do is go to getfaithful.com slash girlsnight. And that link will be in our show notes as well. Okay, now without any further ado, let's hop into my conversation with Deborah. All right, friends, I'm so excited for who I get to have here on the show with me today. I'm sitting here with my friend, Deborah Folletta. And Deborah, you've been on the show before, but we I knew we had to have you back. So thanks so much for being here. 
Oh, it's such a pleasure. I love chatting with you. For women who haven't gotten to meet you yet, first of all, guys, go to the show notes and I'm going to link to Deborah's last episode. It's one of my favorites that we've ever done. And so you just need to go hear it. But for women who haven't gotten to meet you yet, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a licensed professional counselor, and I specialize in all different kinds of things, um, addictions, anxiety, depression. Uh, But for the past few years, the Lord has really allowed my focus to be in the world of relationships. So I would say the past seven years, I've lived and breathed the message that healthy people make healthy relationships. And the first three books I ever wrote were relationship-focused. I think our last conversation was all about relationships, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what I've been really passionate about. And then slowly and recently, the Lord has kind of been calling me to focus on the healthy people part of that phrase, healthy people make healthy relationships. So let's do a deep dive into our personal health. And, you know, are we healthy emotionally, spiritually, mentally, even physically? So that's kind of the journey I'm on right now of of teaching people how to become their healthiest and what that looks like, how to how to engage in that process. But in my real life, I'm a mom of four kids. My youngest is two months old. We call him our surprise quarantine baby mm-hmm. because he was conceived during lockdown. Yep. And yep. um we were done having kids and he just kind of surprised us. So he's our youngest and then my oldest is 10 and we homeschool our kids. So you can imagine the crazy life that we have, but we're just, we're so grateful. That's awesome. Oh man. Yeah. You, we were talking just before we got on and I'm like, Deborah, you are a true superhero. You are doing so many things and you have a brand new book, which we're going to talk about a ton today. But before we do any of that, tell us your fun fact. So I, you know, I was thinking about this. I have so many ways I could take this. Like I I was one of those weird RAs in college and I would like beatbox all the time. And that was what I was known for, the beatboxing RA. And okay, I still do it in front of my kids and they think it's like so hilarious. That's amazing. But the, the best fun fact is that I speak fluent Arabic. I My family is from Egypt And I'm a first-generation American. A lot of people don't know that about me, but I grew up hearing Arabic, and I can speak fluently. That's amazing. But we're not going to do this podcast in Arabic, so don't worry. (laughs) Well, I mean, I would love it, except for I feel like my follow-up questions would be terrible, because I'd be like, I have no idea what we're talking about here. But it sounds amazing. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. That's a really good fun fact. And I also, side note, love knowing that you can beatbox as well. Yeah, uh, that will that talent will not be coming out live on any podcast, but it's in there. I'm like tempted. You, you can see I'm tempted to ask for it, but I'm, I'm going to spare you. Okay, so in all of the bazillion things that you're doing um, in life right now, uh, you also have a brand new book, and it's called "Are You Really Okay?" Getting real about who you are, how you're doing, and why it matters. Why this book? How did like how did this book come to be? Well, a lot of people have assumed that this book was birthed out of 2020, but it really wasn't. Uh, this book was in the works before 2020 even hit, which just goes to show you that God really laid the foundation, and He knew what would be needed in this season. Really, Are You Really Okay was really birthed out of two things. One, 
what I see as a licensed counselor, the needs that we have, and I'm primarily working with people of faith. And just because you're Christian doesn't mean you're healthy, right? Mm. I think a lot of times we assume that when we come to Jesus, somehow our emotional health, our mental health is going to be just where it needs to be because we're walking with the Lord. But we don't make that assumption about physical things. We don't assume that just because we're walking with Jesus, our blood pressure, our cholesterol, our BMI is going to be just right. We would think that's an absurd statement, but we apply that that mentality to our emotional and mental health. And then people burn out, they crash, they struggle with depression, anxiety, panic attacks, PTSD, OCD, whatever. And they're almost surprised by the struggle or ashamed of the struggle. And so this book was written for those people, but it was also written for me because I went through my own journey of depression and panic attacks and having to deal with a a former trauma that we'll probably get into a little bit later that I had to unpack in order for me to heal. And so they say the thing that you're most passionate about is usually birthed from some pain. And that's 100% true in my situation. This is uh, a message that was birthed out of my own pain and my own need for healing. Mm. So let's just jump into that right now, if if that's okay with you. I'd love to hear just a little bit more about that, because I know that the women listening are going through, I mean, especially after this last year, we all are are dealing with all kinds of loss and trauma, yeah. and um, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But I, yeah, tell us more about kind of what you've what you've walked through in your own life, if you don't mind. Yeah. So about five years ago, I went through um, a traumatic miscarriage where I literally almost lost my life. I went in for a routine visit and it turns out that the baby was not growing and it looked like I was miscarrying in that moment. And then I happened to have a doctor's appointment scheduled just a few minutes later. So I walked over to the clinic. Meanwhile, I'm hemorrhaging and I don't even realize it at the time. I just started hemorrhaging. So I get to the doctor. We're chit-chatting. I start feeling a little lightheaded in her office. And I'm like, I think I'm bleeding more than I should. So she goes to check me and I literally am hemorrhaging. I'm bleeding out everywhere. It was like a horror movie. So not only am I processing the fact that I just lost a baby, but now I'm minutes away from losing my life. So they rush me to emergency surgery. They, They literally throw me in a wheelchair and the doctor herself runs me to the OR and we had to do emergency surgery to stop the bleeding. And and so you go from that experience, when you go through trauma, whether it's a miscarriage or a loss or an illness or 2020, you're kind of in survival mode. You know, your body is in fight or flight mode. It's just like your goal is to get through this. Just like when a soldier goes off to war, he's in the battlefield, there's missiles soaring, there's danger everywhere. But he's in survival mode. His body is not processing the trauma. It's just surviving. And that's kind of what happened to me. I finished the surgery. I get home a few days later. I'm processing what I have to do next. The kids, I have all this stuff to do. You get back to life. You know, of course, there was a loss of a baby and you're dealing with some of that. But I don't think you fully deal with the trauma. And then a couple years later, I start having these symptoms of feeling lightheaded again. Do you remember I mentioned feeling lightheaded at the doctor's office before I started hemorrhaging? Well, 
The second I start feeling lightheaded, it's probably because I didn't drink enough. Probably maybe I was getting a headache that day. My life is safe and secure now. And so all of a sudden, my body jumps back to that moment of feeling lightheaded. And my stress response kicks into high gear. There's part of your brain called your amygdala. And your amygdala is responsible for emotional memory. It remembers things, traumatic things, but it remembers good things too. It's your emotions stored in your amygdala. And what happened in that moment is my amygdala now is like, I remember this. We've been this through this before. Last time you almost died. The same exact feeling is happening again. You must be in danger. You know, not that this stuff happens consciously, but subconsciously, my brain is starting to go into fight or flight mode because I feel in danger again, even though I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. And then I go into panic attack mode. I, I can't breathe. I'm starting to sweat. I my my heart rate is going insane. And I, I literally feel like I'm going to pass out. I feel like I'm dying. Something is wrong. But really, it's my amygdala saying, I remember this before and I want to keep you safe, which is essentially what's happening when you go through a panic attack. Your amygdala is remembering a past experience, usually a traumatizing experience, a distressful experience, and it's trying to keep me safe but it's actually just false alarming because there's nothing really wrong in the moment. And with panic attacks, there's usually nothing wrong in the moment, but it's rooted in something in your past. And so I started going through this series of panic attacks where I had to step back and figure out what they were rooted in and where they were coming from and how to deal with them in order for me to get back on the track of being mentally healthy. But it was a journey for me, that's for sure. Uh, this is like bringing up something crazy in me because, and I think we actually might have talked about this last time you were on the show, but a couple of years ago, I started having some pretty serious anxiety that after a while started to kind of slide into some depression. It was a couple summers ago. And I think that I've had, I think I've struggled with anxiety probably a lot of my life, but I just never really recognized it until it got so bad that I couldn't hide from it anymore. I couldn't like talk myself out of it or, you know, whatever I'd been doing to kind of cope until then. But the thing that was so crazy about feeling so bad during that season was that nothing in my life was crazy. Everything right. in my life was totally stable, probably the most stable it had been in, I don't know, five years. But in those five years, we had had so much change and transition and different losses. And what you're saying is like resonating with me so much right now that kind of once you're, when you're in the middle of something crazy, you're just trying to get through it. And so you don't actually maybe process all, like all that comes with it. And then it's after once every, once you're safe again that mm -hmm. it all kind of comes flooding back. So what, I, I was going to ask you about this later, but since we're talking about this right now, well, okay, so first of all, what is trauma? Like when we're talking about trauma, can it, does this only happen with things like almost losing your life or going through a traumatic miscarriage? Or can we experience trauma in other ways? Like how do we know if we've, if, if, some of the things that we've gone through, if we can call them trauma or not, first of all? Well, I would say a trauma can be defined by any sort of significant loss. And it doesn't even have to be a loss for you. It could be a loss in somebody else's life. It could be someone close to you who lost something or someone and it affects you. 
you know? So trauma doesn't even have to be firsthand experience. Sometimes it can be secondhand trauma. Uh, it could be loss of a job, loss of reputation, loss of a loved one, loss of security, stability, a job, a baby, loss of a dream. You know, there's so many ways that trauma can can come into your life. And I also think it's important to understand that in different seasons, we're more susceptible to trauma. Let's just talk as women, for example, hormones can have a really significant effect on us because, you know, if, 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 if a traumatic experience brings you to a level seven out of 10 stress, but you've got underlying other things, underlying stress, underlying um, hormonal issues, underlying chemical imbalance, whatever, it can bring it over the edge. It can take you over the edge. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So for me, in seasons of postpartum, where your hormones are going crazy, that's a very susceptible season. For some people, it's during pregnancy. For some people, it's even things like taking the birth control pill that can really cause you to go crazy. Uh, for other people, it's fertility treatments. Like there's a lot of hormonal components that can bring us to the next level, even within normal trauma. You know, so we have to be aware as women that there's all kinds of things going on underneath the surface that make us more or less susceptible depending on the season that we're in in life so that we don't feel crazy. Because I think that's the bottom line is a lot of times you feel crazy. Like, what is going on? Why am I feeling like this? And that's the important time for us to begin unpacking the layers and say, seeing, okay, what is contributing to me feeling this way? Those type of emotions, whether depression, anxiety, panic, it's your body signaling to you, okay, we've got to work on something here. You mm -hmm. know, it's almost like a an alarm that we have to do some work. And it's actually a, a beautiful thing because it's God's way of, of filling us into the fact that there's work to be done, you know, so that we don't let those wounds of trauma just fester and grow and get worse with time. What do we do with, you know, we're going to talk about health in other, like in, in kind of different sections of our, of our lives. But if there's, you know, if we're sitting here holding some sort of loss or some sort of, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is, I think we all are, and we can see it popping up in our lives in different ways, kind of following us. Well, how do we, how do we, what does it look like to like stop, turn around and, and deal with it so that it doesn't get worse? I think it's important to realize that when we go through trauma, it's going to look different for everybody, right? But the first step is really acknowledging the trauma, acknowledging it, naming it, putting words to the experience, because a lot of times we just plow through. That's our, our response is just to get through it, to plow through, to ignore it. Maybe it'll go away. Time will heal it. But time doesn't heal all wounds. In fact, some wounds get worse with time. They get infected with time. They fester and grow with time if we're not taking care of them. And so that's how we have to see our traumatic experiences. First and foremost, it starts by acknowledging them and then to begin expressing the emotions that are linked to those traumas. I think your emotional health is kind of like a volcano. All the different emotions you experience are kind of building pressure underneath the surface, just like a volcano. And if you don't, in a healthy way, begin to express and release those emotions, 
they begin to build up pressure and eventually find the point of least resistance where they explode. For some people, that emotional explosion looks like a panic attack, like it was for me. For other people, it looks like depression or withdrawal or isolation. For some people, it can look like anger outbursts or addictions or relationship conflict and struggle. For different people, it looks different. But the key is understanding like what is going on underneath the surface for me. We're so good at going to the doctor and getting a checkup, an annual. I mean, we don't love it, but we do it Mm -hmm. because we know we have to. But do we ever stop and do a checkup on our emotional health or our mental health and really dig deep to take inventory about how we're doing? I mean, that's a habit that so many of us are missing and it's preventing us from true healing because we're not even taking the time to look and see what needs to be healed. What kind of questions do we ask? So this is the heart of the book, right? Like, are you really okay stopping and asking yourself and really taking an inventory of how you're doing? How do we do that? I feel like, you know, a lot of times when we when we meet someone, we say, how are you? And you go, oh, I'm great. Right. How are you? I'm great. Right. We kind of do that with ourselves. Like, how do we yeah. get to the next, how do we get to the next level with ourselves? We do do that with people all the time. And that's why I titled this book, Are You Really Okay? Because it's more of a, are you really okay? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you say you're okay, but are you really? And we also, not only is it hard for us to acknowledge that we're struggling, but I think with social media, we've kind of presented this, we, we've set ourselves up for for destruction because we paint this picture of who we are on social media, these superficial snippets of who everyone is. And no one's showing the true stuff underneath the surface. So we kind of just stay there with ourselves and with others. You know, it's just kind of the norm. But but for us to really dig deep, it, it requires us to stop and ask some hard questions. And I, I set this book up in a way that is broken up into four sections because when I look at scripture, Jesus says that the most important commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I broke the book up into four sections. Heart represents emotional health. Soul represents spiritual health. Mind represents mental health. And strength represents physical health. And if we're to love the Lord our God with all of those areas, then we shouldn't be surprised when we face struggle in those areas. It's the norm. A lot of people are like, why am I going through this? What's wrong with me? No, this is the norm. It's to be expected. So instead of being surprised, we need to be prepared for Mm -hmm. the struggle when it comes and know that it's going to come. And at the end of each chapter, I present some journaling questions because this book is meant to be interactive. It's not just something you read. It's something you do. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a, I don't know when this episode releases, but there is, we're offering a free journal that goes with this book as well as the free audiobook for anyone who pre-orders because I want people to have this journal by their side. The questions are all at the end of each chapter, but it's important to journal through them. Questions like, how did your family of origin process emotions? Because emotional health is not something you are born knowing how to do. It's something you've got to learn, something you have to educate. And most of the time, what we learn about emotional health, emotional expression, emotional control is based on what we've seen modeled to us. Some families, talking about emotions is not even on the radar. Like they don't really go there. 
much less exploring emotions, naming all the different emotions, identifying what emotion is causing me to do what. So, so, so there's a whole process to this of, of really starting to uncover the things that have impacted us. One of the activities I have you do in this time, in this, um, book and journal is a timeline activity where you chart the most significant events, both, both traumatic events, but also positive events that have shaped you. And so we have this chart that we're kind of working through all of these different pieces in our life that have influenced us in one way or the other. And even if you come from a Christian home and you think, oh, I don't have anything to deal with. Yes, you do. You know, I came from a Christian home. My parents loved the Lord. My grandfather was a traveling evangelist. But being the daughter of immigrants, you kind of learn this underlying message that you've got to work hard to make it. You've got to work hard. It almost instilled in me this performance-based type of value that you just have to work hard to, to survive in this country. Well, that kind of became part of my mantra, part of my life. Nobody ever had to say that statement to me. It was just picked up in how we lived our life. And so for me, uh, part of unpacking my journey, my proclivities towards depression was understanding that some of my triggers are living a life of performance-based value, messages that were passed on to me without my awareness, and, and really starting to unpack all of the stuff that you bring with you from your family of origin, from your past experiences, from relationships you've been through. That's why this is work. And, and it's good work. You know, the Bible says that the purposes of a person's heart are like deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Back in biblical times, drawing out water, it's not like turning on the faucet. You don't go to the faucet when you need a drink and turn it. I mean, this was a process. You couldn't even do it in the middle of the day because it was too hot. Mm. You could not do it. So you'd have to wait until the evening when things were cool. You would bring your bucket, go to the well, and it was a process of drawing out the water. God's word tells us that our heart is like deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. It's work. It takes being intentional. And that is the the question I want to pose is, have you done that work? What does it look like to do that work in your personal life? Because that's how we begin to heal. Hey guys, I hope you're loving this conversation with Deborah as much as I am. She's amazing, right? I wanted to pop in for one quick second because our show would not be possible without our sponsors. And I wanted to take a quick second to thank the company sponsoring us today. Our sponsor today is a company that I love. It's HelloFresh. Now, I know that lots of y'all have heard of them, but just in case you haven't, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. I love that. So you guys know this about me, but I'm not a great cook, and I've definitely gotten better over the years, but I still don't love meal planning or cooking. It's just not my thing. And now that my twin girls are here, it's more important than ever that Carl and I have easy dinner options. That's why I love HelloFresh. First of all, with HelloFresh, there's something for everyone, including low-calorie, vegetarian, and family-friendly meals. Plus, over 90% of their ingredients are sourced directly from farmers, so you know you're getting the freshest food for you and your loved ones. 
One of my favorite HelloFresh meals I've ever made was their chicken sausage spaghetti bolognese. It was this really great kind of spicy pasta. I am still thinking about it. And not only is their food delicious, but the process of making it is super easy. All the ingredients come pre-measured in handy labeled meal kits, so you know which ingredients go with which recipe and there's much less waste. Plus, the recipes only take 30 minutes or less. And guys, I'm telling you, I am still a beginner in the kitchen. Just, I'm telling you, it's not my thing. And even I can cook these recipes. They're simple and they come outlined on pictured step-by-step -step instruction cards. They walk you all the way through the whole thing and it actually kind of feels like a cooking lesson. HelloFresh makes cooking fun. I'm also a huge fan of the fact that HelloFresh donated over 4 million meals to charity in 2020. And this year they're stepping up their food donations even more amidst the coronavirus crisis. So good, right? And of course, I love HelloFresh even more because they want to give you a promo code to get 12 free meals. If you go to hellofresh.com slash girlsnight12 and use the code girlsnight12, you'll get 12 free meals, including free shipping. Again, that's hellofresh.com slash girlsnight12 and use the code girlsnight12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. HelloFresh, thank you so much for sponsoring our Girls Night. We just love having you. Okay, now without any further ado, let's jump back into my conversation with Deborah. So what does it look like when we talk about being emotionally healthy? What are some hallmarks of someone who is emotionally healthy? Like what is their, how does that show up in someone's life? And what are some hallmarks of being emotionally unhealthy? Like what, it, you know, what are some things that would be showing up in someone's life if that was the case? So let's even start with chapter one. Chapter one is all about learning to express your emotions. The difference is some people express their emotions, recognize them, and other people don't. They don't see the connection to how they're feeling and what it's causing them to do. They're not good at putting their emotions into words and really sharing what they're feeling. Um, another aspect of emotional health is emotional expression. Um, being able to express how you feel to others, not just a, a, not just have an awareness of it, but being able to express it to the world around you. Another aspect of, of emotional health is emotional control. Being able to recognize that just because I feel something doesn't make it true. And realizing that sometimes our emotions speak different messages than God. And we've got to learn, okay, that's the voice of my depression. That's the voice of my anxiety. That's not the voice of Jesus. Uh, to question our emotions sometimes is an important aspect of being emotionally healthy because some people live their life based on how they feel. That's not going to get you very far in marriage, in parenting, at your job, in relationships, because what you feel isn't always true. It's real. Our feelings are real, but they're not always true. And my favorite part in this book was when I did a deep dive into the emotions of Jesus. Do you know that scholars have identified over 39 emotions written out in scripture of things that Jesus felt? Hmm. 39, over 39. And that's just what's in scripture. There's probably so much more that, according to the Bible, wasn't even written down because if it was, it would take up all the books in the world. Like there's not enough books that could contain everything that Jesus did. But to watch him go through all these different emotions, to express his emotions in a healthy way, but then also to respond to his emotions in a healthy way. 
going through that study in chapter three was probably one of my favorite parts because it just made Jesus so real in what he felt, but but a beautiful model to us in that even though we feel something, we still have to respond appropriately. We still have to respond in a healthy way. We still have to respond in a way that honors God and honors ourselves. So those are just some of the things to be thinking through when you're kind of taking inventory of your personal emotional health. If we're not doing those things, what kind of fruit does that lead to in our lives? You know, it's a great way to look at it as the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. So when we when we think about what does a healthy person look like, we think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In fact, I'm pretty sure I outlined a chart in one of the chapters about the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, which I call the fruits of the flesh. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we we can say, yeah, I'm pretty patient. But when we look at the opposite traits, so so if if patience is a fruit of the Spirit, Have you ever struggled with a lack of patience or irritability? If joy is the fruit of the Spirit, have you ever struggled with feeling frustrated or grumpy or, you know, um, feeling like you are just angry and irritated at the world around you? If you've ever, if you feel like you have self-control, think about this. Have you ever had an addiction or might not be like a full-blown addiction to drugs or alcohol, but like, how, how do you spend your time on Netflix? How much time do you spend on your phone? You know, like these are the type of things that help us determine how healthy or unhealthy we are because of the fruit that's in our life. I think a lot of times we can say, well, I'm not perfect, but I've got some of these fruits of the Spirit. But when you look at the opposite traits, it's really convicting because we have a lot more of the opposite traits in our life than we want to, you know, especially because yeah. as Christians, a lot of times you look to the horrible stuff like these crazy addictions and murder and theft and deceit. But what about the everyday fruit of the flesh, you yeah. know? And what is that linked to? Many times it's rooted in a lack of mental health, emotional health, and spiritual health all combined. And sometimes we have a tendency to tackle these problems with spiritual solutions. So we'll pray more, we'll we'll read the Bible more, and while all those things are necessary, we're still not getting to the root. And the root, many times, is a lack of emotional health. And that's kind of what I'm hoping people open their eyes to, is that healing happens in layers. And we've got to, if we want to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we've got to be healthy in our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love that. I love that. And and thinking about like how those things play out, you know, you said, and I love that you say this, because this is like just something I'm so passionate about is the fact that healthy people make healthy relationships. And so when you, I mean, we've all been that person who is lacking in self-control in a relationship. And like, think about all the ways that that could play out in a friendship or in a parent-child relationship, or, you know, as you're dating someone, lack of self-control really takes things in a, in a, like, rough direction in your relationships. And that's just one example. Um, and so it, it, I feel like that's just so, perfectly illustrates why it's so important for us to be healthy because when we are unhealthy like it just is kind of this ripple effect and yes and going along that lines you know when we have emotional struggles in our life 
I call them emotional black and blue buttons. And here's why they can affect our relationships. When you have some sort of insecurity, for example, let's just say you're feeling really insecure. Maybe you have an abandonment issue or something that feelings of rejection or whatever. And what I, I call that your emotional black and blue spot. You know, when you get a black and blue bruise and, and somebody kind of touches it, it hurts a lot more. Mm-hmm. We have emotional black and blue buttons. It might not have been caused by your husband, but when he presses on it, it causes you to have a big reaction. Have you ever had a moment with your spouse where he says something and it like really gets to you, even though it wasn't like a horrible thing? Mm-hmm. He hit an emotional black and blue. Maybe it's that insecurity that you're already struggling with or or feelings of lack of value or lack of worth that you're already struggling with. And then they come and press up upon it by something they say. And that's how our emotional health ends up impacting our relationships because people can trigger us based on the wounds that we carry that we haven't fully healed. And it starts to impact our relationship. It starts to impact the reactions we have in relationships. Mm. Oh, that's so good. That's that's so good. You know, you're talking about these four different areas of health, I would love to hear you talk about what it looks like to be spiritually healthy, because I just don't know if we have a good like definition for that. I think oftentimes when we talk about spiritual health, we're looking at the checklist. Do you read your Bible? Do you go to church? Do you pray? Great. But just because you do those things doesn't make you spiritually healthy. You know, when my husband was in medical school, there was this random dude from off the street who decided he wanted to play a prank. So he went into the hospital and put on a white coat because that's what all the doctors wear and pretended to be a doctor for the entire day before he got caught. Just some random dude, you know, playing a prank. But just because you wear a white coat doesn't make you a doctor. And just because you do these spiritual checklists, doesn't make you spiritually healthy, spiritually mature. I think the root of spiritual health is really two things, our view of self and our view of God, because those are the things that really impact why we do what we do. And let's let's just camp out on our view of God for a little bit. When I was working in a psychiatric unit at the hospital, one of my first jobs was working in um, this psychiatric unit for children and adolescents. And I was working with this young man. I had to give him a psych eval, which just meant to sit with him and ask him a bunch of questions. He was struggling with something called psychosis, psychotic episodes, where he would just kind of go into these random delusions. He would hear things and see things that weren't really there. So one day I'm doing an assessment with him and I'm wearing an earring and I start twirling it, a pearl earring. I start twirling it between my fingers. It's just a nervous habit of mine. Sometimes I twirl my hair. That day I twirled my earring. And he looked at me with the scariest stare and just started screaming, I hate you. You ruined my life. And he starts coming towards me to attack me. So what was happening that I didn't realize then is he was what we call in counseling, transferring his past wounds onto me, the innocent bystander. We take our past hurts and we put them on the face of an innocent bystander. That was me. The reason he attacked me is because I reminded him of his mother. It turns out we find out later his mother had pearl earrings and she had a nervous habit of twirling them between her fingers. Mm -hmm. So the second I did that, something in his brain snapped and he associated me with his abusive mom. Here's the thing though. We do that same thing with God. We have a tendency to transfer our past wounds and hurts, disappointments, 
onto the face of God. Instead of seeing the face of Jesus, we see our wounded childhoods. We see our absent father or our highly critical mother or that Christian pastor who was so legalistic. We tend to take these people that have wounded us or influenced us in a negative way and we transfer those experiences and relationships onto the face of God. And we see him as a mean, vengeful God. Or maybe because of our absent family member, we see God as apathetic. He doesn't even care about me. You know, does he really care about me? And we start putting these labels on God that are not based on truth, they're based on our personal experience. But True relationship with God, true spiritual health is learning to see God for who He is with all of those unhealthy filters removed. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. Like, do we really know God for who He is? And how is that impacting what we do? When we meet God for who He is, we begin to do those spiritual checklists, but we're doing them out of a place of love. We're doing them out of place of respect, of appreciation for who he is, not out of the unhealthy filters that we've placed upon him. So that's something I really try to unpack in the book because I feel like so many of us are living out of these subtle filters of who God is to us that aren't really true and are impacting our spiritual health. Ooh, that makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. I have a thousand more questions, but I'm going to try not to ask them right now because I have other things I want to make sure to ask you about before we have to go. You know, another area of of health that you've talked about is our physical health, our physical well-being. Mm-hmm. And I think this one might be kind of a surprise. Like we're talking about our, well, I guess I'm about to say it, we're talking about our insides. So our physical insides obviously count, but can you talk to us about that a little bit? Like why is our physical well-being important? Why is our physical health important? And how does it impact other parts of our lives? Well, the body-mind connection cannot be um, ignored in science. I mean, our body-mind connection is a real thing. When we think about physical health, though, we're not just talking about exercise and nutrition. That's a big part of it. But we're also talking about things like boundaries, you know, because that's what protects your physical health, boundaries. And, And the the things you set around your life to protect you from burnout. Self-care is part of physical health. What are you doing to pour back into yourself physically, you know? Because these are the things that keep us strong and healthy. Um, Especially you, you just had babies. You know, I just had a baby. We're in the like no sleep baby club, the burnout baby club. We have to really be intentional about filling ourselves up. I used to feel guilty about that when I had my first baby. By the fourth, I do not feel guilty, girl. I am like, I need this to survive. I need that walk around Target. I need therapy. I need to have time alone. I need just some solitude and worship. I need to go do something fun, whatever self-care means for you. And that is a huge component of physical health. So yes, we do talk about sleep and nutrition and exercise, but there's also other components to physical health. And I really believe the key is recognizing when we're living on E, 
and making sure that doesn't become the norm for us, making sure that we're living out of fullness, not out of emptiness, making sure we recognize the symptoms of burnout, physical burnout, that so many people in, in ministry, so many help helpers, so many caregivers end up struggling with burnout because they give and give and give and don't take the time to stop and get filled. And that is a huge part of our physical health as well. This may or may not be something that I'm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and ask this for a friend because this clearly isn't me. <laughs> what do you do when you know? I think we all have the the term self care brings up all kinds of things in all of us. Yeah, and it does. I think it's like you know different in different seasons, and I want to hear you talk about that a little bit. But for me right now, the idea. Like, I feel like for the last, you know, five months, I've been running on empty so much that I'm I'm working on kind of filling my tank back up. But I definitely relate to what you're saying about feeling guilty because you, you, it's like there are other things that you should be doing. There are other things that should be more important or, or like, how do you, it's just really hard to put filling yourself back up. It like, is hard. High on your priority list. Like, just talk to us about that a little bit, about some of the guilt that my friend may be feeling. (laughs) You start decreasing guilt when you begin to change the narrative. Guilt is never a healthy motivator, first and foremost. The Lord doesn't ever use guilt to motivate us. There's nowhere in Scripture where guilt, because guilt can be associated with shame. Guilt says, oh, you are not doing this enough. You are, you need to be better at this. You are not, 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 not. But The healthy side of that is, I have better for you. I have more for you. And that's when we know it's the voice of God and conviction versus the voice of guilt and shame. They sound very different. One brings you down. The other raises you up. So when you're struggling with the narrative of guilt, 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 I should be doing this, I should be. Well, who says you should be? You get to decide that. You are the one that gets to decide what you should and shouldn't be doing. So I need to start changing the narrative of what I should be doing and saying, I should be taking care of myself so that I can be the best mom and the best wife. I should be filling myself up so that I can give to God my first fruits, not the things at the end of the day when I literally have nothing left to give him. I should be filling myself up so that I can pour into the ministry that God has called me to pour into. And when you start changing the narrative, there's no more room for guilt. Mm. You know, guilt has to run and hide because it's like, there's no guilt here. I am doing this because God has called me to do it. Even Jesus. And are you really okay? I even camp out in the ways that Jesus practiced self-care. Jesus was good at sleeping when he needed to sleep, even if that was in the middle of a storm on a boat. (laughs) He was good at pulling away for a time and just having alone time. He was good at running to the Father to fill him up and not just, you know, scrolling through Netflix and Instagram and Facebook. He was good at doing what he needed to do so that he could pour out continuously to us. So if Jesus modeled it, Where do we get the idea that self-care is an anti-Christian word? It's not. In fact, if anything, it is so aligned to the heart of God. Pour into others 
by pouring into yourself. You you can't give when you're empty. And so that's an important thing for us to remember, especially those of us who are in the caregiving world or the caregiving role right now. Yeah. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. I'm going to rewind and listen to that again. <laughs> as we're thinking about this and as we're kind of doing or, or you know, getting ready to do an audit in our lives, it's that's an intimidating thing to do. And, and it's scary to kind of open up that closet. You know, we all have that closet that just is like holding a bunch of junk and you open the door and everything comes tumbling out. And I think that a lot of times, especially if we've been through a lot recently, like we all have, or if we haven't, you know, done this in a while, or if we've never really taken the time to kind of filter through what's inside of ourselves, I think a lot of us are afraid that we're going to open the door and just be kind of crushed by everything on the inside. And so it's tempting to keep the door closed. But I know, you know, from walking through this in so many seasons of my own life, that there's so much goodness if we do it. And so will you just as, so we can really understand why this matters so much. Will you paint a picture of us of what our lives can look like? Like what some of the fruit of our lives can be if we take the time to get healthy? And then also like what's at stake here? What happens if we don't? I like your analogy of like opening the door and then you feel like the floodgates are going to open and you're just going to get overwhelmed. But I think sometimes the fear of that is not accurate. Um, What we should really be afraid of is what happens if we don't open those doors. When we choose to open the door, we're in control of what comes out and what stays in and what we work on. It's like beginning to organize the closet little by little. I'm in control. If you just let it sit there and don't do anything about it, it will eventually explode in your face outside of your control. We've all been in those moments. A panic attack is an example of that, where I have literally stuffed it for so long. Now it's controlling my life. I am out of control now. So I almost see it as we've got to view it as a preventative thing. Like I am starting to courageously go to these hard places because if I don't, I'm going to be out of control. It's going to impact me. That emotional explosion is going to happen without my permission. Mm. And just keeping those doors closed builds the pressure. So how can I begin to relieve that pressure in healthy ways? What does that look like? I'm a huge advocate of therapy. And if needed, for some people, medication. I've been on different seasons of medication in my life when I was really struggling with clinical depression and panic attacks because you need to work on getting your brain in the right place before you can get your thoughts in the right place. If your brain is jacked up, you can't actually think healthy. You know, even though I knew exactly what I needed to think, my body wasn't cooperating. My brain wasn't cooperating. So I needed medication to help stabilize me for that season so that I could begin the process of healing and working through my thoughts, my toxic thoughts, my unhealthy habits. And so, again, I'm a huge advocate for therapy and inviting somebody into your journey to help you begin to unpack that closet little by little, somebody who knows what they're doing, somebody who can help you make the connections, especially if you have a significant history of trauma that you haven't addressed. Um, There are just so many connections, so many lessons to be learned, so many things that you might even be doing and you realize, wait a second, this is normal for people who've struggled with abuse. 
This is normal for people who've, you know, been through trauma, things that you wouldn't even recognize. You think it's part of your personality, but it's really part of your trauma history, you know? So somebody that can help guide you on that journey and coach you is so important. I've been saying lately, as I've been talking through this message, we need to start seeing therapy, not like going to the doctor when we're sick, because nobody wants to do that. We need to start seeing therapy as going to the gym to get strong, to, to strengthen our physical muscles, our emotional muscles. Nobody shames you for going to the gym. They're like, good job, high five, way to go. That's how we have to see therapy. It's my process of getting stronger emotionally and mentally so that I can be fit enough to do what God has called me to do. I love that so much. I love that so much. Debra, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for writing this book and for sharing your story. And I just, I love the work that you do. And so you guys, we're going to actually link to everything that Deborah does because at any time something of yours pops up on my Instagram or Facebook or in my inbox or I'm just, I'm such a fan of yours. You are doing such big, important work and I just am really grateful for you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me and thank you for being willing to have these type of conversations on your show. These are the type of conversations that begin making a difference in our world. So thank you so much for having a heart for them. Friends, that was our last episode of season 11. I feel like the season totally flew by, right? Well, we'll be back in just a few weeks for season 12, and I'm so excited for what we have in store. But before we go, I would love it if you would do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released, and it'll let you know when we're back for season 12. The other thing is it would mean so much to me if you would take just a quick second to leave us a rating and a review for the show. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' nights. So would you do me a huge favor and take just one quick second to leave a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so much. And I do want to say the biggest thank you to all of you who have left those beautiful five-star reviews already. It means the world to me. All right, friends, thank you so much again for listening to this episode and for tuning into season 11 of the Girls' Night Podcast. I will see you in just a few short weeks for Girls' Night Season 12.